so we'll kick this thing off. Chris Cutting is here. He's one of our beta composers. He uh, consistently puts out bangers. It's usually my go-to first listen of a uh, library is like, what did Chris write for this? How long have you been writing for the beta team? Oh, uh, early on, I think right, uh, probably about 10 years now. That's what uh, I was thinking. Yeah. I said the last podcast, I was like, I know it's been at least five years because you've been around longer than I've been employed. Yeah, uh, same. And so that's awesome, man. That's that's a uh, that's longevity. So that's like yeah. almost from the beginning, pretty much. Yeah. So back in the day, uh, Mike had posted um, a contest, and I, I think it might have been for the Rust library. Okay. Um, uh, I I could be wrong, but I entered that contest and. Um, and afterwards, I said, hey, I'd love to write demos for you guys. And you sent me one that day. And um, the rest is history. I'm very grateful. It's been, a, it's been a fun journey. That sounds like Mike. As far as like getting started with music, did you have like a musical family? What brought you to music? Yeah, um, it is a long story. I'm happy to share. But, um, you know, so both my parents were professional musicians by trade. Oh, That's okay. What they did. So my dad was a, a pianist and he also was a college professor. He... Um, he taught class piano. He taught MIDI back in the 80s, which was really badass and cool. So every yes. summer as a little kid, he would, uh, you know, bring his whole setup with his DOS computer, all that stuff Love you it. Know, home for the summer. Um, and then my mom was also a pianist uh, and an organist and and very, very fortunate. She had a, a full size Baldwin grand piano uh, in her house. Oh, wow. And so my brothers and I would always just beat that up trying to play and so yeah it's always been in our family um and uh so once my brothers and i we got to kindergarten they um basically made us take piano lessons and they had yeah. us take lessons yeah. from somebody who wasn't them so that in the hopes that we practice um yeah. <clears throat> and so at first i loved it i was doing what my older brother was doing i was able to learn what my parents were doing it felt really cool but um i would uh, do this thing where i would get in trouble for not practicing and then I would go to my lessons and get yelled at for that. And it would reinforce me not wanting to practice. Um, it was this whole cycle. And uh, so for about a year, I begged my parents to let me take art classes oh, instead okay. of piano classes. And finally, in fourth grade, <clears throat> they, they let me do it. One of my dad's uh, piano students, um, her mom was a really cool artist uh, in Muskegon, Michigan, where I grew up. And uh, he said, hey, would you be willing to take on a student? And she finally said yes. And so it was a new experience for her. She hadn't had students before. I was super excited about it. And so we were both very much invested and it was exploratory and experimental. And it's a perfect age too. Yeah. 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 And <clears throat> I'm also colorblind, but for some reason I wanted to take art classes. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, I'm weird like that. Uh, so anyway, she would always have really cool music playing uh, when we were working. I'd go over there once a week for a couple hours and one time she came back from a trip from Vegas uh, that she took with her husband and she was playing the CD and she could not stop talking about this show she saw. And it was Mystère by Cirque du Soleil at Treasure Island. And that's back when there was only one show, one Cirque show out there in Vegas. And most people had no idea what Cirque du Soleil was, couldn't pronounce yeah. it, whatever. Um, but for whatever reason, that music just hit me deep. It resonated and... I was just like, what is this? And it was super inspirational. Um, and I got the bug. And so we totally. went out to, uh, you know, out West on a road trip as a family one year. And, and I convinced my mom to let us go see that show. They were excited about it. And then I saw Kidam in, in Chicago. And I really just 
you know, got creepily obsessed with, with uh, Cirque back then in the 90s. And I would dissect the albums and really start observing all the different aspects, the different instruments, where they are in the mix, what they're doing. And then I started thinking about how do you write this? Obviously, there's some improv lines in, in some areas of some music, and it's like, did the composer come up with those lines, or is that something that he invited the musicians? Is it more collaboratory? Um, just really got into it. And so then uh, after high school, um, high school, I made an album, went to college, and had the opportunity opportunity to do Disney's college program and use that as a hope to try and run away and join the circus because there was a Cirque du Soleil show at Disney called La Nuba. And okay. I, I get down there, I'm working in the Magic Kingdom and merchandise. I'm all excited. And I bought tickets to the show. You, really expensive when you're working uh, on the college program, but I did it. And <laughs> it really, really cool. And so basically my family came down, my aunts and uncles to visit and my grandparents, and we were riding up in the elevator to go see the show. They took, took me to the show. They knew I was excited. They wanted to see it. And being the proud aunt that my aunt Kathy was, she had to tell the usher, oh my gosh, Chris loves this, this show. He wants to write music for, for Cirque someday and would love to sing the show or whatever. Um, just by chance, the showroom manager at the time, Mark, um, his big thing was creating magical, special experiences that that would impact people for their life. Um, really cool guy. So Joanna said something to him. And after the show, showroom manager Mark comes up to me and says, hey, I'm Mark. Here's my business card. Give me a call sometime and I'll get you VIP seats and a backstage tour. And I had never I mean, that was the coolest thing in my whole life. That's at awesome. that point i was very obsessed and like i said it was creepy um but you know it was motivating and i I just had this fire inside of me to write music and and live a life of music because of experiencing their music and so anyway i call them up uh i, I tried to wait a couple of weeks but it was probably like a day because i was so excited <laughs> and uh he, he said uh actually we're not going to do that Instead, I want to work with your management team and your leaders to bring you out to Cirque for a week so that you can train as an usher, work at the show, and, and just see how things are. I said, hell yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I did. Um, we worked it out, and Mark being the cool person he was, one show, he had me sit in with the band. And nice. I got to put the headset on. I was up in the tower wearing all black. They had these two towers on either side of the stage where the band was, and you could see in and see out. And I had a headset on and, and they're like, don't move. People can see you. Cool. Um, and uh, it was really cool. I realized I was used, I was dialed into somebody's uh, in-ear mix that they were using. And then uh, at one point I saw the singer walk up to me and sing. And I realized I was in her share and it was super awkward. And it was her, her mix that I was dialed into though. And then the next show they had me sit in with a drummer. That was really cool because La Nuba, the show I was at, um, that was one of the three or four albums that I really studied and he was the original drummer and I got to sit in with him really cool oh. experience. Um, and then I got to sit in with the uh, lead stage manager on Marie on headset in the light booth, uh, getting to hear her call all the cues for the show. That was amazing. She let me put a headset on and sing in the theater. Of course, it was totally dry, no effects after the show. Really cool. So that just was a huge life experience for me. Oh, yeah. Basically moved back to Michigan after I finished my college program, 
made a second album, brought in some really cool musicians. Um, a friend of mine, Dorika Watson, he's a drummer. He flew in to do uh, some, some work for me. Uh, really cool bass player we got, Joe Ayub. And uh, yeah, it was just really cool to do that album. And then I went back down to Florida, worked full time at Disney for a while at Cirque, uh, stayed there for five years. But one day I walked into work early and the composer, Benoit, the person who I studied was there and he was doing some work with the band. And so I snuck kind of into the theater. This is way before the show started, before they opened the doors and I was kind of hanging out. Uh, once he had a break, I went and talked to him and I had that album I had just made with me. And I'm like, hey, man, you're super cool. I learned to write by listening to you. Um, I'd love to share my music with you. And he's nice. like, OK, thanks, man. Cool. And um, had the next day off. And then I uh, came back the next day and somebody said, hey, Benoit was looking for you. And I about shit my pants because I thought that was so cool. And so I, I went back into theater, hung out. He had a break. He came and talked to me and and he was kind of taken back and really uh, impressed. And it really validated what my goals were and, um, you know, that I wanted to make that a career. Uh, nice. He gave he gave me some great advice. He thought I used uh, the musicians in that show because back then I only had really had Cirque as inspiration. But I was like, no, he brought my own musicians in. And so we had a really good chat and it was just a really cool experience. And so that's when I decided just to really dive in and then eventually moved back to Michigan. And, and I've been working pretty full time just writing uh, ever since for Soundiron for other clients and and for myself collaborations and whatnot and obviously I've expanded my I've expanded my influence repertoire interests whatever quite a bit since then and so I've uh, definitely diversified my style and, and tried to come up with my own vibe totally so what gave you the courage to go talk to that guy um, it, I didn't really, it was just a subconscious thing. I just did it, you know, you're just like, um, I have to talk to you because you're one of my heroes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, he, he had to have been a little weirded out because this just random dude is just sitting behind him, just like staring. <laughs> but you know, once we talked that second day, I was just like, okay, this is cool. And, and it, what's really wild is, um, in high school, my high school choir is just, an awesome choral program. They've set a lot of people up for success. We have so many alumni that have gone on to do amazing things from Broadway to film to whatever. And so we went down to Disney on a trip. Our choir director was cool enough to let us all go see Anuba as part of that uh, vacation package we, we did. And I had dropped off my first album that I made in high school with the sound guy. I was like, hey, I want to write music for you guys. Here's my here's my album. He's like, ah, I can't do anything with this. Send it to our, our headquarters in Montreal. I'm like, I already did that too, but here's this album. And so once I started working there, I had heard that the singer, the original singer of the show, who's no longer there, O'Neill, that, that got into his hands and he was a countertenor and I sing countertenor and he would, he would sing my music and he was just really into it. And uh, it, it was just neat, you know? Yeah, that's super cool. Love that. It's very theatrical, complex music, um, the Cirque it stuff. Is. So like, how did you start breaking that down or how, like, <laughs> it, it seems like kind of overwhelming at the beginning. You're just listening to it over and over again. You're like trying to pinpoint instruments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think a lot of it is just trying to be conscious and becoming one with the different types of chord progressions and melodies and themes that they had brought in to uh, the albums. The other side of it too, and this is to a bigger point, I think that 
back then people would buy CDs. You'd have an album, it'd be a full listening experience. And now uh, you don't really get so much of that. People listen to the songs they want because everything's available, you know, via download and whatnot. But back then you really could take advantage of that as a composer and create this whole journey through the album, this whole adventure. And obviously in the context of Cirque du Soleil, that is to their advantage. And so that was a, a highly captivating thing for me is to see the big picture and see how, you know, the placement of order of the songs and the pieces would would fit together in that story they would tell. I really just got captivated and immersed and I wanted to do that. And uh, definitely their style is outside the box, uh, especially from back then in the 90s when they had their two main composers that had worked on all the shows up until that point. It was just a very unique style. And so, you know, learning from that kind of forced me into that style, I guess, too. Totally. That's cool. That's something I've been thinking about a lot recently is like the attention economy and basically the idea of we have so much information just flowing in that your time is actually what ends up you being like pot, like having poverty in. So like the, the scarcity aspect, instead of information being scarce, like a few hundred years ago, now it's the opposite where the information is just, you're bombarding getting bombarded. Everybody. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. And I mean, like maybe you could speak to that too with, you know, seeing the internet and you, you've basically had, you know, what, 15, 20 years of writing music and like people paying different amounts of attention or like their attention is kind of scattered and like, oh, now it's all on TikTok or whatever, whatever the newest social media platform is. And so like being a composer through the attention economy, I don't know if you have any words of advice on that. I think just dialing in what you're doing to what somebody wants, you know, if it's something that is short, and you don't have the opportunity to tell a long story, try and find a way, way to still be narrative and tell a story and what you do. Um, you know, doing sound iron demos is a great exercise with that because you want to showcase something. With that, it's a little different because you want to showcase as many aspects of the instrument possibly as you can. Yeah. And so you sometimes it's a challenge not to go overboard and have too much content, but just try and find a good flow that doesn't overdo it, that is easily picked up by the listener and felt by them. Totally. So when you first start out a sound iron cue, what's what's your beginning? You open the patch and then what happens? Uh, so I have a couple different approaches. It depends on, I guess, the context of the library, right? Sure. So let's say it's a piano library. I'm probably going to start with just the bass library before I dive into checking out the presets. Um, other libraries, I'll just play around with the presets first. I have a template for sound iron demos already set up. And then basically I will go through and, and explore as much as I can in the process, see how it inspires me, what ideas I come up with, and then I'll start recording those. Uh, and then you just start dialing it in. I'll scrap well over 50% of those ideas and build off other ones. And then I'll do that again and really just try and find a theme that works well to showcase that, that instrument. Love it. What DAW are you using? Uh, Cubase 11. Okay. Very nice. nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for that new Cubase. I'm curious to see what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, I actually waited a few versions before I updated to 11 because I was just so happy with, I can't remember if I was on six or seven, but. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I was cool. just happy with it. I was content. I didn't have a need to upgrade, uh, but finally I did. Um, glad I did, but 
I still miss some of the old features, uh, mainly the some of the layout. I, I miss miss the way the whole experience looked uh, and how that influenced the workflow. But I definitely love Cubase. Yeah, I think I started on eight point five and just been there ever since. I used to use Logic Pro nine and then upgraded my my Mac and then I couldn't even use it no more. And I'm just like, I'm not even. I'm not even going to do that. I was already eyeing Cubase anyway. A bunch of my friends that do either recording or mixing and people I've watched like Joey Sturgis and my friend Zach, I would see him just blaze through like editing and stuff because like the slip editing and all that stuff. And I was just like, yeah, it has like everything you need. Composers are absolutely the worst class of people when it comes to not upgrading stuff. Like <laughs> we're so we're so terrified of updating and like the IT expert uh, on our team, I'm always having to explain to him, well, they're still on Pro Tools 8 because it runs with their Windows 7 system or whatever. And like, they're not going to update no matter, you know, no matter what, like they're, they're stuck because they have all these sessions they want to open and they're just like scared of losing everything. Yeah. So that is difficult. That's very true though. Like I, uh, about a year and a half ago, I upgraded my iOS finally, and and now there are certain projects. No matter what I do, I cannot access those projects, yeah. and it it kills me. Yeah, especially because a lot of film composers or people that are doing music for other projects, they'll probably get hit up, or even like mixing engineers, they'll get hit up like eight months later by the record label. Oh, we need this mixed, or we need this remastered right. for this thing, or now we're going to do it on final, so we need another you know master. Like, oh well, I can't open that no more. I yeah. upgraded. A year ago and you're changed dollars yeah yeah one thing that i've done is depending on the nature of the commission or the project uh is i will typically just save all the wave files of all the stems just so that if i can't access those uh cubase projects i can still at least have something to work with yeah so that's very smart. It's funny, uh, Dom, I don't know if you know who uh, Dom Silas is. He uh, does a lot of stuff for, for Cubase. Mm -hmm. and he did a video talking about that, that same exact thing. He's like, back up your projects, like export all your stems, because if a project for some reason doesn't work, you have all that stuff that you can still like give them. So that's, that's right. a very, very smart move on your part. Yeah, thank you. I Trial and error, you learn from not being able to access <laughs> learn, something. Learn the hard way. <laughs> Um, okay, so another question for you is when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused on a cue or if you've, you've lost your focus temporarily, what do you do? Yeah, I think stepping away for a short amount of time is really beneficial. And then trying to just get your mind off the music for a few minutes, that's huge. I've also uh, noticed that sometimes I'll take a walk. That helps, you know, just commonsensical, simple things. But then also maybe that's a sign that um, I need to go in a different direction. And sure. with sound iron demos, there's been times I've spent a day or two building up a theme and I kind of get into that funk. And so I start playing around with some of the, the presets I have loaded and I'm like, wait a second, I should do this and I'll scrap all of what I've done yeah. and start a new project. And then it just flows so much more fluidly. So don't be scared to start over, even if you have a tight deadline, because sometimes it's going to be in your favor and you'll have a better outcome. It's a good word. A lot of the times when I'm composing a cue, if it feels like work, you're probably, you know, like hitting your head against the wall and it's probably not the right move. You want it to feel like play. Like you you almost like know where the next piece is going to go in because you're like working a couple steps ahead and you're like just in that flow state. 
Yeah, like where every sound sort of like feels like you're just like doing it naturally. Like you lay a sound down, you go to your next one. All right, cool. This is it. And then you just record it in. You just keep going. It's not like, uh, you know, like when it feels like you have to think too much, that's where it's like, eh. like, because I've done that thing too, where you're like, this is cool. I like where it's going, but there's something that's not right about it. And then sometimes I'll just start muting tracks. Yeah. Like I had one where there's like, yeah. this like arpeggiator thing going on and the cue that I was working on. And then I was just like, it just sounds too busy. I think it's like the vibe's not there. And I just muted it and I was like, oh, okay, that's better. And then I just took it out. It's like, all right, it doesn't need to be there. That's an important point though, too. I think that so many people try to put too much in and I've definitely struggled with that, especially coming from the influence that with Cirque, there's always so much going on visually yeah. and the music's kind of the same. So, uh, as I've grown as a composer, one of the things I've done is trying to do exactly what you said and just bring elements out. Even if you're in love with a certain layer in there, it's overall better not to have that in the, in the mix sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's like musical chess. You got to like plan out your moves. Like, all right, I, I want to get here, but I'm trying to do all this other stuff. It ain't working. All right. So I got to like rethink my whole strategy. Like, should I just like ditch my game plan or just like find a, an, another path? It's just a chess reference, huh? <laughs> i'm gonna ask you cool. magnus carlson i'm coming at no right. Yeah, right i go kill me what's uh what's really cool is that sometimes i'll come up with something that i would not have come up with had i not put those first layers down and then you end up taking those first layers out altogether so they still serve a purpose even though they're not in the final music if that makes sense yeah one of the things I, I wanted to talk about something that you mentioned in an email is that you work full-time in a restaurant yeah on top so of yeah just busting on all these sound iron bangers i was like wow like that's pretty crazy i was actually wanting to like hear a little bit more about that how you got into the into the restaurant biz yeah so at disney at cirque um i had the best leadership team they really inspired me um to want to become a leader and one of my favorite things is creating special experiences for people and giving them memorable um service and so i uh actually started at where I work now as a bar back about five years ago, I wanted to work at a restaurant. I wanted to learn how to bartend. I had some previous leadership experience and I quickly realized that that was a special place. The owners are the best people I'll ever work for, really strong sense of family. And it felt good to get your ass kicked and, and have a successful day. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just uh, realized I had passion there and, and moved my way up. And now I'm the GM and we have, it's, it's this massive restaurant downtown Grand Rapids called Pepino's. Um, we have 450 seats. Um, we're oftentimes really busy and on a wait. 30% uh, of our business is takeout. On top of that, we're a scratch kitchen. So we sell fried pickles. We, we buy cucumbers, brine them in-house, slice them up, batter them to order. That's There's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, we're right by the big arena downtown, so we're always sit when big acts come to town or our local hockey team's playing. There's this huge complex across the street from us with a movie theater, a canopy by Hilton Hotel. You can live there at their apartments and really cool area, Grand Rapids. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's really stressful, though. Uh, the most stressful thing I've ever done, and you bring the job home with you. Absolutely, uh, yeah. I, yes, be I believe it. <laughs> yesterday was my day off. I had like three calls. 300 random calls and I had all these text messages and, and um, you know, it's a lot. So uh, I'm also pretty introverted. And one of my favorite things there is actually engaging with guests and building relationships and building up an awesome team and um, an awesome culture. Um, so coming home after that, it's 
kind of nice because I can chill with my dog, wind down, and then uh, work on music until around six, seven every morning. And I know I'm not going to be bothered with any texts, emails, any calls, whatever. And I can just completely focus and dial in. And it's it's a really nice balance, even though I'm always extremely busy to have both those mm-hmm. those jobs and do them both pretty full time. Nice. So I was going to ask you about hobbies and interests outside music. So that's, do you cook? Yeah, I do cook sometimes. Uh, I'm definitely grateful that we have the best kitchen leadership at my restaurant. Uh, It's the best it's ever been since they opened. We're very fortunate to have the crew we have. I enjoy eating their food. Um, But yeah, I, I, I love to cook as well. I'm definitely not a chef. Other outside interests? Every winter, you know, Michigan kind of sucks. So uh, uh, I always need something to uh, get me through the winter. Uh, a few years ago, it was learning magic tricks. Okay. Um, and then a couple of years ago, it was epoxy. And I got into doing different epoxy things. And that kind of snowballed into my countertops are really dated. I think I'm going to rip them out, put some plywood down and make epoxy countertops. And then nice. other people saw that. And so now people ask me to do their epoxy countertops. And I, I just did one about three weeks ago. I did another one about two months ago. And and I'm like, I'm happy to do it. It's going to be like three months before I can get to you though. Have patience. <laughs> yeah. But for me, that's, that's just another creative outlet. And how cool is it to have your art in some sense in someone's home permanently mm-hmm. that they get to utilize and look at every day? Yeah, I so, love that. That's practic- practical art. Yeah. And then just being outside. So you spent the last two years a general manager during COVID, huh? Yeah, yeah. So it's just been insane and like takeout worked out for you? Yeah, it's been it's been a lot. You know, I think we're probably the biggest and busiest restaurant downtown. So obviously we have a lot more logistical challenges. Right. Um, and that's especially with staffing over the past year and a half, two years you know, it's been hard for anyone to hire employees. Um, That said, we've been very fortunate. Like I said, we just really more than anything, try to create a good culture and sense of family with our, with our crew. This past fall, for example, we're fully open, no restrictions in Michigan with capacity and we're on a wait and we got 400 people in there and, and we were able to do it. And though our competitors downtown are also our friends and we don't have this abrasive, relationship we value our neighbors downtown um a lot of them couldn't do that and hopcat is a really big uh, brand here in west michigan um i think beer advocate says they're the second best beer bar in the world um and they're okay. like two blocks down this you know down the street and they couldn't open on saturdays with a much smaller dining room because of the staffing issue right and so we've been very fortunate in that regard but we've definitely had our fair share of share of challenges in michigan it was pretty extreme with some of the restrictions and we were shut down twice for months at a time. And um, that obviously benefited our takeout business, but our takeout operation is still just as busy despite the restaurant being open. Yeah. People got used to different habits for sure. Exactly. I know when I used to work for Starbucks, it was like you felt like a crew member on a pirate ship. And like developing that kind of family aspect of like, we're all on this pirate ship and it's kind of, you know, like us versus the world, that kind of mentality really, really kept you around longer. Like, but instead of stealing people's stuff, you're out there giving some fresh people just serving up that coffee brew. (laughs) I do love my Starbucks coffee brew. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you're a night, you're not a night owl. Then you said you work till like six or seven in the morning. 
Yeah. So typically I don't wake up until I have to get ready to go in for my manager shift at Pepino's and then I come home and, and stay up until I can't stay awake anymore. And then I just do it okay. all again the next day. Uh, I know Quincy Jones, we were talking about Quincy Jones a couple episodes ago and he's a night owl. Like he loves two, three in the morning. That's his sweet spot where he's like, I don't get any emails. I don't get any texts or calls. Like I can actually think and I can write music and, and make, you know, creative art. So I haven't seen 2 a.m. in a long time, but uh, <laughs> I respect the hustle. Yeah. Well, I got an email from you a couple of days ago and I saw it was about my bedtime. So uh, good for <laughs> you that you can wake up that early. But Quincy Jones, I, I can say I agree. You know, you don't have those distractions. There's something to be said about just being able to step into a project or um, work on something and and not have those worries that you're going to be having your phone blown up in the back of your head. Similarly, with uh, doing sound iron demos, one of the things I love is approaching those demos knowing that there's no boundaries. You know, like if you're working for a client, more often than not, they're going to come back to you and say, um, hey, I need you to change this. And yeah. you have to be like, okay. And oftentimes that it turns out better because of that. But mm -hmm. Regardless, stepping into a sound iron demo, knowing that you just can go on this exploratory, immersive adventure of something new and have as much fun with you want as it to uh, try and showcase that library from the beginning, knowing that you just have that freedom is really cool. And at night, when you also don't have to worry about distractions, it's just so much fun to be able to work. Uh, if I work in the afternoon before I head into my other job, or if it's my day off, I do have a hard time finding my flow. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really important when it when it comes to you know because we have so many composers on the team to let it let the library speak to them. You know, it's like it's, it, like mm -hmm. if we were to give everyone a brief like make this thing that sounds like this, all the demos would sound the same. So it's right. like how do these sounds inspire you? You know, because you could be like dabbling on one you know, sound or, or patch or whatever. And you're like, Oh, like make a whole track based off of that. Maybe it ends up sounding like a funk thing. Cause your demos can, they definitely vary. You know, they're always like genre, very, yeah. very, very well produced, but very like, you know, they, they always showcase everything and you always do library only which is, which is awesome. And it really helps showcase all the sounds, but it, it's like, you know, it's like watching a movie, but then like before the, everyone watches a movie, like this is, this is what this movie's about. Right. Like, right. Right. Like, versus just letting people kind of interpret it for themselves, you know? So that's like the, the thing I like to do is just like, all right, do your thing, write whatever inspires you, you know, cause that's the way it should be, you know, it's like, like, cause yeah. then you know what you're going to do with it. You're like, oh, I've explored it. I, I know what I can do or what mm -hmm. I want to do, you know? A lot of the times, um, let's say a library I'm working on um, a demo for, and it's, it's something like a piano or it's something like just, for example, if there was an acoustic guitar library, you want to showcase that, right? And um, it's like, I'm working on it and there's all these cool presets and I could do all this cool stuff with those and go in a completely different direction. So it might not sound like a guitar library necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I've always been nervous to do that. But at the same time, uh, I feel like there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of beta composers and most people are probably going to go in the direction of trying to make it, you know, reflect it in a way that it the main instrument actually naturally is. Mm -hmm. Those presets are also there for a reason. And um, and so I oftentimes will take that approach of doing something more outside the box because I want to, it's fun, but also it maybe broadens the assortment of, of demos that you guys would have to be able to showcase that when you release it. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Yeah, because a lot of the effects presets are very like use one and just kind of run it, run with it from there. Or because like sometimes you, like we might have a library that sounds very like natural or like a very like organic thing, but then the effects presets can like make it in like you could turn it into like an electronic thing. Right. So then it's like, well, oh, should I go that route or should you know <laughs> should I like make it as like natural? But like sometimes, yeah, it's just cool. Like I don't know. I always have a tendency to make everything sound like dark and sad. So that's that. just that's just me. <laughs> yeah, Craig and I never. Luckily, Nathan is the complete opposite. Like Nathan will never. Nathan's are so happy like and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's cool because it's it's nice to like you know see you know how it works for everyone. It really just comes down to it's cool to see that there's different use cases for something too. It's not yeah, always, it's you know. you know creativity without boundaries to an extent, right? It's uh, kind of what is fun about creativity. You get to feel like you're a child when you're playing with with these and and um have fun and it seems like that's increasingly harder to do in today's world right another thing i you know with um the presets i utilize those a lot as certain layers but i also try to sometimes dial them in in ways that fit what i'm going for Mm -hmm. Uh, but one of my favorite things is going into the main instrument you have layer one layer two layer three is typically ambiances or something like that and um, I love exploring those uh, especially because you can utilize the offset and start that sample in a new spot and you can dial in a specific tone or vibe and then play with the release and add one of the built-in effects reverbs i love I've, I've mentioned that in some emails those are my favorite things is the effects long effects short and seeing how those um work with some of those different settings and so utilizing those ambiances uh you can really create a keyboard sound or an organ sound or a mallet style sound what what are some some hobbies or interests that you have that you haven't explored yet that you want to get into anything that you've been like yeah. want to try new or <clears throat> There's so many things. Um, lately, I've been into reverse perspective art. What that is, first time I saw that was on the Haunted Mansion right at Disney when I was a kid. And basically, you're in the doom buggy and you're moving around and there's these busts on the wall that follow you. And they don't stick out towards you, they stick in. And it creates this really cool optical illusion so that whatever you're, you're looking at follows you in a way that's really trippy. We have this competition in Grand Rapids every year called Art Prize. Started out as the world's largest publicly jured art competition. People come from all over the world. It takes over the whole city. Uh, this past summer at Pepino's, we were fortunate enough to get this badass 30 foot tall fire breathing robot in our parking lot by this Denver based artist, Shane Evans. And he climbs up inside the chest and moves the arms out and the hand shoot fire and the oh, mouth wow. does the shoulders. And he let me get in there and play with it. Really super cool, dude. Um, but one of the things downtown was a reverse perspective art piece. And it really hit home that that's something I wanted to explore. And so I ordered some supplies to try and create one. And that's on my back burner list of things to do here is, is try and, and build something. And, and um, I've watched some YouTube videos on some other people who have. And um, so, yeah, you'll see some of that sometime soon, I'm sure. Nice. So I always try to have some creative outlet, not just music that I'm, I'm dabbling with. That's smart. All right. I got a couple questions here. Uh, What is the best advice you've been given? And that can be in composing or it can be in leadership. Best advice I've been giving in music was actually from Benoit, the composer for La Nuba. And he said, don't be afraid to spread your music out to really explore a theme. 
And that's something I don't do enough of with Soundfire demos. I just can't set those down and I, I have too much fun with them. But the album I gave to him, he was like, you know, look, you have like two or three albums of music in here. Really explore mm-hmm. these themes more and develop them. And he was, you know, spot on. That's great advice. Uh, and, and obviously it's going to be different depending on the context of what you're using that music for. Um, but in, in general, that's just really good advice. So he was saying like sit in certain themes longer and like exactly. uh, explore like them more, explore go variations. deeper. Yep, yep. Okay. Instead of uh, just throwing every bit of paint you have at the wall. Exactly. And seeing what sticks. Okay. It's kind of like, you know, Craig mentioned you, you remove some tracks or you mute some tracks and then you can better the music. And, and that that's part of it. It's part of the same Addition by advice. subtraction. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Do you normally do like conceptual type albums or are they just like, are each songs kind of like its own topic or do you like to explore more like conceptual albums, like where themes come back or come in different ways? Yeah, no, I love telling a story. Uh, I'm going to be fighting this. Nobody has CDs anymore. That forces you to take this whole expansive journey thing for the rest of my life. I'm always going to be the type of composer that loves being able to explore a story or a journey over a whole project long form long form exactly and having i mean that just creates more opportunity with the individual songs or pieces to be able to explore some common themes in different ways and come up with new ideas in the process yeah that's awesome yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of concept albums. I, I think it's it's really cool to hear. It's like, you know, like an audio movie or something, you know? Yeah. Like, or it's like, you know, because a lot of times with film music, there is themes. A lot of like older movies nowadays, it, sometimes there's maybe not as many themes or it's more like sound design or, right, you know, right. that more sort of thing. More just layering of patterns. Exactly. Right. But like, I've always loved like how a different theme, you know, could be used in one context and then come back and maybe use a piece or flip the melody or like like when you listen to like classical music it'll be like bin dun din din and then it'll play it again but dun 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 din and it'll be it'll and that top melody will then now play lower and then it'll just keep like but it's like like little things like when I come across I'm like oh that's interesting I'll try to like take that and remember it or something. You know I do like uh if you have a theme you have a melody um utilizing that melody obviously in in different um sections of that long form project but changing the melody line to create a different emotion to mm-hmm. change the storyline you could you know have that melody shift into something else to take you somewhere darker mm-hmm. or create some tension or you could use that same melody with completely different chords and have a completely different feel i also love to take patterns you know a lot of the times i'll i'll find in working with the sound library uh, doing a demo certain presets or something you can get some really cool patterns and bringing those back and having them interact with different patterns or a different melody and trying to use those same patterns in different ways or taking that melodic pattern or, and using it with a different preset or a different section of that library um, that's a lot of fun too bringing that back and having having it in a different feel a different vibe yeah, that's the thing I think is really cool about the like having the arpeggiation for different mm-hmm. layers, because especially for percussion, you can have one where it's like, and the other one's like, and you can like, sometimes I'll do that. I'll have like completely different like percussive rhythms, and then I'll like pan one layer to one side, pan yep. it to the other, have like an ambience going on. You can even put some like rhythm, rhythmic 
elements on that too. So you can almost like, it almost sounds like there's a few different people jamming together at one time when, with just one patch and then you can like fade stuff in. So it's like, it, like, that's the thing I always find fun, especially when making effects presets is that you can just like, how, like how much juice can I get out of this one NKI? You know what I mean? Like, and right, right. kind of like, you know, oh, maybe that saved me having to load up two other tracks because this is already kind of like doing all that or you can modify it or, you know, that sort of thing. Right, right, right. Same. Craig is giving away the secret sauce here. Watch the walkthroughs. <laughs> I, I show you guys these things. Just um, watch the so, so Chris, what, what advice would you give to someone starting out? Someone starting out composing They're They just graduated college. They're, you know, they're trying to get their feet wet. They don't know a lot, but they're trying to learn. Yeah. I'd say, um, especially if you're going to college for music, uh, throw away a bunch of the rules. Um, <laughs> I think that oftentimes, you know, there are there are some great music schools where there are some amazing teachers, especially in the world of composition, but there's also the opposite. And regardless, find your own style. You can learn about the rules of classical music. Don't do this, do that. But, you know, we're in 2022. Uh, have fun. Um, I'd say also listen. Um, e I'd say ego gets in the way of if you focus on ego at any point, you're not focusing on learning. You're not focusing on your weaknesses. So uh, that's just a life lesson in general. I think ego is never good, but that's just how I live my life. And, you know, just be humble and try and observe and learn from other people's uh, mistakes as well as their successes and learn from your own as well. Yeah. Um, and you know, never stop learning and challenging yourself. I'm grateful that I get to do sound iron demos um, because it's consistent and it's always fun and it's always something new. And um, but it's also a great exercise. Yeah, uh, it keeps you in shape. And so, you know, that's important that um, if you're starting out, um, you don't have work, still write, still try, still work on things, come up with things. You never know where it's going to take you. Yeah, I like that you have a variety of, of hobbies and interests. And I think, you know, something that Craig and I talk about a lot is uh, film scoring is very um, pragmatic. Like it's, it's, it's a relationship business. It's not really a robotically composed classical music and you'll have success. It's like, no, it's about networking and like meeting people, making cool stuff and then mm -hmm. making cool stuff alongside them. And it's like a group project. Right. So it's, uh, you definitely, <laughs> you definitely learn a lot of the wrong things in school. Yeah. And you also like, obviously benefit from school, but you definitely learn a lot of the wrong things for sure. Yeah. I've always um, heard, I've always heard a lot of people, the things that they've got a lot of from at, from being in school is the connections that they've made and the friends that right. they've made and like you know that sort of thing like but a lot of them would probably tell you like i mean i could have probably learned any of that stuff somewhere else but that's usually the thing that i've always heard people take from going to school which which you know it's still like a, it's a good life experience and meeting people and like learning from people like you take stuff even like small little things you know, you could take one thing oh like i was hanging out with this guy and i was watching him you know play guitar or keyboard and that little thing he did had just always kind of stuck and you know it's like these little things you take along the way and yeah and i think too how many success stories are there it just in general not just in music of people who started what they're doing in life now through meeting someone else in school you know, I think that's how Facebook got started, right? Mm -hmm. um, like just in general. And so that leads to some other great advice is uh, collaboration can be great. You know, mm -hmm. if you have the opportunity to collaborate, 
you're going to learn from it. They're going to learn from it. You're going to have a great experience. You know, for me, that the coolest thing I feel like I've ever done was I used to be in a band called Oarsman. And it was it was awesome because it was truly collaboration. And it was with my friends, my best friends. And we all grew from that. And it was a really cool experience. Nice. I saw I listened to some of the, the music on your website from Oarsman. Hey. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, no, we uh, just some buddies and my buddy Noah, he was, you know, I, you know, I was creepily obsessed with Cirque du Soleil like 20 years ago. He was, he was that way with uh, this band called Death Heaven, but he also introduced me to bands like Alcest, Russian Circles and a couple others. And that really influenced um, me a lot. And so we just came up with some cool music and released in an EP. It was me, Noah, and a friend, Angel, who did drums, and Angel's phenomenal. That turned out really cool, and then we started working on a couple other ones, and one of them, the newer ones, was a banger. Uh, <laughs> but it, 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 oh, it still gets me. I, I wish I, I still want to record that. Um, but ultimately, what happened was, um, you know, we've been together for a couple of years. We wanted to bring in another guitar player so we could do some live performances, and so we're bringing this uh, second guitar player after one of the practices, uh, he started talking about how he didn't think we should have civil rights laws, how businesses should be able to turn people away because they're black or because they're gay. And I am like an openly gay man. And so that obviously didn't sit well with me. Sure. Um, and so just look, man, that's not cool. There's clear reasons why we have to have those protections in place. And and I just said, I'm not, I'm not cool with being in a band with somebody who's going to be outspoken about those things. Right. And the opposite take. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just so caught off guard because he was such a cool dude. Um, but that really shook us and we couldn't really recover. And so we just kind of stopped practicing. It's really too bad. But um, I'm never one to seek revenge or anything like that. But he did leave his guitar at my house for a couple of years and he wouldn't pick it up. So I to get some closure, I auctioned it off on Facebook. And I said, whoever's willing to make the biggest donation to the NAACP or else an, an, a local LGBT charity, it's yours. I'll send it to you for free. And this really cool friend, uh, awesome composer, Jordan Chin, he's out in California. He uh, uh, donated to a local LGBT charity here in Grand Rapids, and I sent him the guitar. And okay. um, I'm happy that there's at least some cool end of the story there. And, and I value all the time I had with that band, and I love those guys, and it was a cool experience. Yeah, absolutely, man. Do you have a favorite YouTube channel or podcast or TV show at the moment? Doesn't have to be like all time favorite. Something um, right now. You know, I always try to watch YouTube to fall asleep at night, and then I end up getting captivated. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I'm all over the place, and it changes every couple of weeks. Uh, there's this dude named Jacob. He has a channel called The Carpetbagger. And okay. he travels the lower 48, uh, going to roadside attractions and uh, all these just cool places. And so I got into him for a while. There's this dude, really eccentric dude, who has a, a channel where he just pans for gold. That's kind of fun. Um, <laughs> nice. I got nice. into magnet fishing videos recently where people yeah, throw yeah, magnets. Yeah. yeah, I've gone down uh, that rabbit hole for sure. <laughs> um, I don't know, just anything and everything. I surprisingly don't listen to much music, though, um, or follow many musicians online. And that's one of my weaknesses. I try to explore other outlets, I guess. I understand that, too, though, because like you, you don't want to be like constantly in the music pond, so to speak. Well, I feel like, too, I find 
there's some really cool music that I've, you know, I, I just love out there and it just moves me. But I find that when I'm not listening to music, the ideas tend to flow quite a bit better. It's almost mm-hmm. like there's a buildup on the inside of, of something. And so, you know, sometimes I, when I'm heading into a project, I won't listen to anything for a while. And, and then I just kind of have a clear mind and it's, it's easier to dial things in and come up with ideas. It feels more original if you're writing and not listening to, a, not inputting a bunch of music. Yeah, that's why yeah. a lot of people always come up with these great ideas when they're just taking a shower or in the bathroom. Like, Going on a walk. That's it. You're like, it's like when you're right, least, right. least expecting it. Like, uh, like I personally love to cook and like learn new stuff. Like, because mm-hmm. ever since I, I switched to like a, a plant based diet, I was like, I can't go to, to restaurants because I'll be spending so much money. So it's like, I'll be right. like, I just want to do that as something new. And then from there, you'd be like cooking or just kind of like enjoying that process and putting stuff together. And like, you'll start to think of like musical things, even though you're not even doing it, but it's just because your, your mind is away from it. It'll just find its way to like creep back in. Like, Hey, I know you're doing something else, but you remember that thing you're working on? Like, Oh, that was it. Right. I get that a lot when I'm driving, we're driving somewhere and I'll have this idea. And then I want to pull up my phone to record it while I'm driving, which I, mm-hmm. I don't do. But then I get I get to where I'm going and like singing in my car to my phone. I, I look like an idiot and it's worth it every time you get some cool ideas when you're least expecting them. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's just funny when people listen back to them. They're like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> what are all these little like the humming? Right, right. So obviously I, I like, uh, I run a bar. Um, I do the beer ordering in my studio in the other room. I have a built-in theater and I, I have a, a draft tower down there. So um, I oftentimes I'm drinking when I'm working and then I'll go upstairs and step away for a little bit. And, but you know, so I'm usually a little bit under the influence when I'm working and um, I go back and listen to some of these ideas that I've laid down. I have this whole backlog of just different ideas. And sometimes I have no idea like what, what's even going on because I was probably exhausted and a little buzzed and, and I can't connect with that idea, but typically they're in pretty good shape and I can, Oh yeah, that's what I, that's what that was. And Oh, that's what I wanted to do here. And I'll just have those to work with, but sometimes not so much. Yeah. What's your favorite kind of beer to drink? Uh, Bell's two hearted. Oh, I don't think I've heard of that one. It's an IPA. Bell's is out of uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, South of us. It's just the most drinkable beer. I love it. And you hear really how fast cool he uh, hear how fast he he came up with that I was, answer. I was actually answer. wondering if we He's were like, gonna, if you were going to ask me actually, you know. So I was ready. Yeah, you were. Like, I had that one. Yeah. How about but, you? What's your favorite beer? I'm boring on the beer side. I don't uh, I don't partake. Um, I when I when I did uh, like I really liked Yingling. I hate IPAs, so we don't get along on that front. It's so, okay. Um, you just called them out right now. Uh, I just hate sour. I hate sour <laughs> stuff. Like um, the the whole coffee trend of like very bright coffees. I hate that too. I, mm-hmm. I want just like a medium dark roast and leave right. me alone. <laughs> I, I've been a fan of the Heffenweizens. Like I, I okay. love like uh, like Mexican beer. Like I'll drink like Dos Equis or you know Corona Pacifico, whatever. Lately, I feel like whenever I go out to bars or or anything, it's usually like Heffenweizens. Like out here, there's a, a few different places, but like uh, there's this one called like. Drake's Heffenweizen and like there's this one I was drinking called Hef Leopard. So I'm sure you can see where <laughs> that they sounds got awesome. There. But uh yeah, I always love those. There's a a few different breweries around here that that have some really good ones. I just can't do IPAs. I feel like I'm I'm like drinking a tree mixed with like <laughs> a tree. Like, uh, like a heavy lunch meal. I'm just like it's just like, <laughs> oh I can't. So Grand Rapids is it's 
one of the reasons Grand Rapids has grown so much is because of beer. Founders Brewery, they're like three blocks from where I work. And, and that really kind of put Grand Rapids on the map. And um, and now there's just all they're a brewery on every corner. I live in this cool little neighborhood in the city, very small brewery right on the corner. Mm-hmm. And so beer is just kind of a part of the culture here. Mm-hmm. IPAs are pretty prominent here. I agree, no liquor. But for whatever reason, I just love IPAs. And my favorite of all time, actually, you mentioned drinking a tree or something like that. It's called Wild Spruce Chase, also from Bell's Brewery. It was a very limited release that they had over the holidays, but it was an IPA mm. with spruce and it tasted like a Christmas tree and it was the best thing <laughs> in the Super world. Super piney. Yeah. And if I could get kegs of that for my basement I, for the rest of my life, I'd be a happy man. I could drink that beer and no other beer for the rest of my life. Just have a tap right inside the studio. Just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's just infuse some pine needles in there and I'm good to go. I love it. Okay. The last question I have for you is, uh, do you have any personal projects you're excited about slash what's next for you in 2022? Yeah. So uh, a couple of years ago, I connected with Francesca Genko. Yeah. Um, and yeah, nice. she, she said, Hey, do you want to ever want to do a collaboration? I said, hell yeah, I'd love to. Um, and so we've been talking about that and there's a sound art demo I did called within for one of the Olympus core libraries. And, um, I thought that would be the perfect thing to see if she'd want to work on. So it's it's something that's on my back burner list. I need to get it done, but I just, I want to change it. I'm changing the key and I want to extend it, but I just haven't been happy with finding the right direction uh, that okay. I want it to go with, especially bringing her into there mm-hmm. um, and her vocal range and style. So that's probably the thing on my front burner list here to, to get going. And then obviously uh, I mentioned the, uh, reverse perspective art. That's something I want to start, you know, learning how to do more of and see if I can come up with something there. Um, Very cool. Yeah. You got to send me some photos of that when you do, when you start doing it. I totally will. Oh I yeah. Totally will. I, I want a video though, so I can get the, the full experience. Yeah. You definitely right. need the video to see, get that time see what's up. <laughs> the time with the Francesca thing. Have you considered like setting a deadline for yourself? Cause I know for me, deadlines are like the number one thing that helped me just get stuff done. You know, uh, I have a love-hate relationship with deadlines. I think a lot yeah. of people do. Yeah. Um, but I also agree for me, deadlines help me get stuff done. And I also find myself, when I'm pushed against a deadline, getting more invested in what I'm doing and more excited about it. So that's absolutely something I should I should do. Yeah, and I think kicking it over to her, uh, she has a lot of like very creative, great ideas. So she might be able to help you, you know, before it's completely finished yeah. or like up to spec. You know, I think you could just kick it over and say like, uh, you know, you can hit her with the, uh, it's rough, you know, like <laughs> this do mix isn't thing. done. You well, know. I thought about sending her a couple different options and being like, what do you think fits your style more? Like sure. option A or B with this completely different section in one versus the other. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. So that's definitely a good way to go. Maybe see what she's feeling. Yeah, she's a really great person to collaborate with. I, I um, We were doing a sale on on her vocal library and I uh, we were talking about the idea of collaborating where I wrote a track using her, her vocal library mm-hmm. as inspiration for me building it. And then I sent it over to her. Like, all right, here's what I did using your library, but then here's also one without any of your vocals. And she sent me like three tracks that were just all amazing. Improv, right? Yeah, she would just improv, just like one pass, go through everything, just, you know, whatever she was feeling, she just laid it down, did another one, 
and then did another one. And then I would just, and she was like, all right, just use whatever you want. And I would just like take little symbols from this and this, and it, it came out really cool. But yeah, she, she's definitely like, she gets it, you know, whatever you send her, she'll, she'll put her, her vibe on it. And it, it, it was, it was really cool. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm, I'm motivated again. I appreciate it. <laughs> also yeah. talking to her. One thing that was really cool is she said in the eighties, she went to school here in Grand Rapids. So oh, wow. college here. And that blew me away. And she was like, I doubt it's still there, but there was this really cool restaurant called Yesterdog that we would go to. And I was like, oh yeah, it's still here. It's like a Grand Rapids icon, basically. It's a super cool hot dog place. But I thought that was a really cool connection. This big world just gets smaller and smaller every day. (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) Um, I actually have some questions for you guys, if that's okay. Yeah, Yeah. of course. I'm kind of turning the tables a little bit. What got you into the music industry? Why are you guys doing what you're doing? My grandmother got me into music and my aunt and uh, my my parents weren't really musical, but they encouraged my musicality a lot. And then when I was 18, I watched Avatar and I, it kind of clicked for me that, oh, people make a living writing music for other things, like for scores. You know, somebody somebody's job, James Horner's job was creating this score and it's like a masterpiece to me even though it's like a copy of a previous movie but basically at that point i was like all right i'm definitely going to school for music business and i definitely want to work in music technology and play with synths and vsts and so i was in bands through high school and music's been a part of my life for a long time but the initial draw was family-based and then you know kind of finding my little niche my little corner of it uh with sound iron has been like a great thing over the past five years yeah that's awesome yeah like i didn't come from a musical family at all i heard that my dad was trying to be a drummer or something when i was a baby and i heard he was not good sorry pops but uh (laughs) yeah i just kind of i was actually really into art and i actually even like at one point kind of wanted to get into acting because i was a huge jim carrey fan don't really talk about that but like that was like really fun but um me and a friend were like hey let's let's start a band okay he had an acoustic guitar so i was like well i'll I'll play drums i actually wanted to drum first that didn't happen ended up getting a guitar super cheap from a friend in high school and just like kind of fell in love with it i was like i grew up a huge like metallica fan that was like my first favorite band i guess and then um yeah i just started doing the band thing trying to get signed tour and do all that stuff and I've always loved classical music and and film and orchestral stuff and always wanted to blend that with like death metal, what I was doing mm-hmm. at the time. And it's funny because like how I found out about Sound Iron was I was looking for like a virtual choir to use on, on something that I was working on. And then I always wanted to do something, you know, within the, the music industry, whether it was, you know, guitar related or VSTs. I love doing that kind of stuff. So ever since, you know, I've been working with Sound Iron, it's just been awesome super fun job but you know i get to meet cool people and you know all the time and get to talk to chris cutting get to talk to chris cutting i have more questions though what you got what have your biggest musical influences been uh shoot man for me it 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 varies like it kind of depends in style because i grew up you know like like i mentioned with like metallica and then i started getting into like other bands like heavier bands like oh and i started listening to cannibal corpse and then i started listening to this then i was like really into you know, John Williams or orchestral, you know, so it's kind of like, it, it really varies, but probably if I had like a pick, like a top five, man, like maybe like Metallica, Cannibal Corpse, so many like guitar players, like Jason Becker, he's mm-hmm. an amazing guitar player who actually developed ALS and he couldn't play anymore. 
Mm. But he developed this like system for for being able to communicate and would actually like tell people, you know, like, all right, you know, play these notes and his dad would help him and stuff. And he would still still write music. The fact that he's in a wheelchair and can't move. The only wow. thing he could really move is like slightly, you know, like his eyes and then like maybe like little bits of his face. He's just a huge inspiration to me because like he was just like ready to take over the world. But then he got hit with this horrible disease, but he still kept making music. And I've always found that so inspiring crazy to see like when life throws you something like a curveball that heavy you know what you do with it you know it's like you can let it take over your whole life or you can say i'm gonna still make something happen you know and it's just a testament to his like musical ability and like how much he did in his short time before that happened i mean i, I love great orchestral music i mean like john williams is a huge inspiration mm -hmm. to me just because it's like it, it's such a like he's such a staple in it but like just hearing like great orchestration and there's so many awesome composers that do orchestral music but like i just love like good orchestral music just because it's it's always just it's it's crazy to hear like okay there's like someone who's writing all of these pieces of, or all these you know, musical things for all these different sections and like like there's it it's like watching a great chess player here's another chess analogy you know what i mean it's like <laughs> because there's so many ways you can move like there's it's an infinite amount of possibilities and what people choose to do with those possibilities is always really intriguing to me i think a lot of people getting into composing they're, they're so intimidated by orchestral work because because of those things right but there are limitless possibilities in some ways and mm -hmm. and you know, again, throw away some of the rules, explore, come up with your own style. And with classical, you know, there, there are those rules, but then with some orchestral stuff for film, um, that's where some composers have really come up with their own style is by just taking those rules away and doing their own thing with different mm -hmm. instruments and different aspects of the mix. And it is fun to listen to different people's approaches and how they fill the space or choose to not fill certain space. Yeah. Another guy I'd probably say is Danny Elfman, just for that, for that yeah, same yeah, thing, yeah. like came from the band background and just like Blingo, Blingo. did it, did it his way, you know, and it became a thing. And then when it's like, Oh, that sounds like, that sounds too much like Danny Elfman or if they're like, Oh, you know, his thing, like he created a sound that you're yeah. like that it's very identifiable and mm -hmm. and uh yeah he he's probably the other one i would i would mention that's just like had a pretty big impact especially what nathan was saying with like the avatar thing like where i like kind of connected the music with the visual like wow like, like uh, it was a scene in um like when the snow is falling towards the end of edward scissorhands you know and just like these sweeping melodies and it's just like wow like it just like with the music and the visuals is just so magical you know mm -hmm. and and it's like wow like i never really like put that two together until then when I was 14, my guitar teacher gave me two CDs. He gave me The Beatles, Rubber Soul, and he gave me Radiohead in Rainbows. And so I just wore those two CDs out and they definitely influenced my high school music making quite a bit. Uh, then other influences would be John Mayer, Charlie Hunter, I'm guitar primary. So those, oh, those guys are just magicians on stage. And then... Uh, as far as like film, Alan Silvestri and Danny Elfman are the the goats for me. I love that. Alan Silvestri, Back to the Future. That is the most, in my opinion, I love so many soundtracks, but that is the most magical soundtrack of all time. Yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. And just because, you know, as a kid too, listening to to that, so much more magical as a kid to to hear that and feel the music. And then, yeah, super cool. It sticks, sticks with you. It yeah. does. It's just crazy. It's like, dude did forrest gump and then he does avengers like how cool is that you know just like right such, he's like, so diverse so, so diverse yeah and he's and also a super nice guy like he's he's very down to earth and humble even though he has 
uh, vineyard in Northern California and is killing it. But he like I've met awesome. I've met him and he's very nice. That's super cool. Um, I have a couple more questions. Uh, where do you see the virtual instrument heading? Like, how do you think it's going to change in the future? What What do you see here 10, 15 years from now with virtual instruments? For me, 10 to 15 years is like a lifetime away because if you look at 10 to 15 years back, like if you go to 2005, 2007, and think about what we were doing then, it's like, okay, like sound iron didn't exist back then. Right. I would say like in the next five years, I'm interested in how we can use computers and artificial intelligence to help do mundane stuff. Like Sean Chasen came on here and he was talking about like an assistant, like a virtual assistant AI that would flesh out an orchestration for you. So like double melodies in certain instruments or do fifths, like stack fifths and basically create counterpoint for you to speed up your workflow. And like uh, there's there's like a, a give and take there, right? Because at some point the robot's just composing for you and you're not doing any creative work. But I think some of the, mon- like the mundane tasks of cleaning up MIDI, for instance, that would be nice to take some of that away. As far as, you know, trying to make an instrument more real, it's tough to think about, like, do we need more mic positions? Is that the answer? Just like 25 mic positions. I don't really know exactly like what takes sampling to the next level. I know, I know that like modeling is something to explore, um, you know, with like Omnisphere and the spectrosonic stuff. They, they're all about modeling, which is algorithmically programming a sound instead of sampling each note and velocity. But it will be interesting to see what the industry looks like in five years. Like, I think it'll be pretty recognizable still, but I think there will be a lot more tools for getting started and for kind of like getting from the beginning to the end quickly. Yeah, just getting okay. the job done. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm 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 really looking forward, you know, because like with technology, it's it's just getting better and better, like exponentially quicker. So it's like, you know, in, in that amount of time, we could be doing some really wild things and the future is always exciting especially with like like midi technology and you know the new things that are coming out with you know the the new midi stuff and you know for me like is yeah like what nathan was saying it's just all about like how can i like use technology to like make what i want to get out quicker you know because like there's always so many technological things that can get in the way so it's like just Mm -hmm. cleaning all that stuff up and just making it to where you can just go from like concept to a product you know i mean with the ai thing i think it's cool like if if used in a way where it's more of like an assisted type thing but still allowing you to generate the concept from your head you know yourself and allow yourself to just like get it done and and i'm really looking forward to seeing like where like plugins go as far as like i mean they're always they're already really good as far as like recreating like you know, outboard gear and stuff, you know, especially with amp sims, you know, they're just getting better and better. And, you know, it's like before I remember when you're trying to like get a good guitar tone and every amp sim just sounded like horse ass. And then you're just like, this ain't working, you know, but now it's like, there's so many good things that just sound awesome. So it's just like, uh, I'm you know, really looking forward just to see where, where technology goes. There's also a pendulum swing of like, give the user as many options as possible and make it as, you know, optionality focused as possible. And then the other side is like the user doesn't want a bunch of options. They just want like a palette to explore. 
And so you can see that with different companies, like going back and forth with like, here's 20, you know, 25 different NKIs that all break out specific sections, or here's just one NKI preset that has everything you need. And like with this new product, Sonosphere's 4 Direction, it, we were just talking about it before the pod, which is it's like a toolkit or like a, a paint palette. It's a very specific set of colors that you can use. And I think for now, users are really interested in just grabbing like that set of colors rather than you giving them every option and them having to cycle through just tons of different stuff. Mm-hmm. So the Sound of Spheres for Direction, I just got to say that was one of the coolest uh, demos to work on. That library is, it just is so accessible and it resonates so clearly with i mean you just you get it right away you get what it is right away yeah you can hear the um, emotion in it exactly and and i mean i that's going to be a go-to library for me for so many different projects because you just step in there and you're instantly inspired yeah and um just really really nicely done yeah that's a tribute to blake you know he's he's a very talented and creative sound designer and the colors that he was creating for this library because each are very like specific you know they all have their own sort of vibe and this one is no different and it's funny like the walk like sometimes walkthroughs come out shorter sometimes they come out longer and this was one of those ones that just kind of like sometimes i'm demoing the patches and playing through stuff and i just can't help but just kind of like drift off and this library is like one of those where i'm just like I almost just want to like stop filming and like, all right, I'm going to just like write this track real quick. (laughs) But yeah, it's just like so fun. And like, there's so many different like sounds that really like, you know, if you blend them together, they have an even more kind of magical sound, but just each one, like are total cue starters in my opinion, is just really, really fun to work with. For sure. Also going back to what you said about getting what's in your head out to um, audible reality quicker with technology. Uh, Like 10 years ago, I remember going to Chicago, uh, Museum of Science and Industry, and they had this table two people could sit at, and there was a clear tube that pointed towards each person with a ball in the middle, and you put a headset on, and your brain activity would push the ball to the other side, and it was a battle, and whoever could turn their brain off, basically, mm-hmm. would be able to push that ball to the other side and win, and there's been some other um, advancements in that, but I've, since then, I'm, I've thought, how cool would it be if I could just write something in my head and have that translate into a DAW? And I think that's a, a really long ways off. I think that's terrifying as an idea, but I also think it's a really cool idea. But ultimately, someday that'd be really cool. Just, you know, you have you have everything written in your head and and then you can just translate that into reality by thinking it. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be wild, especially because like like there I think there are kind of times when you're writing music or if you're working on orchestral stuff, like you can kind of like see and hear this like blurry orchestra playing something but maybe there's like a clear melody but you can kind of like hear a general like rhythmic thing or something behind it and uh that would be pretty wild to like imagine a whole thing i mean unless like you know you're like all right cool i want to start off like you know rhythms and you just kind of like think the rhythm and then like it's going to be on percussion and then it just starts programming that or something like that would be right right i don't know Maybe Elon Musk will have that for us in like the next four <laughs> mind, years. Mind to MIDI. Mind to MIDI. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Trademark it. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, it's really simple, actually. It's not It's not that difficult. <laughs> it's it's probably coming along with uh, Skynet. Then it's all. <laughs> Hopefully Skynet's second. Yeah. 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 Get some fun. Yeah. Let, yeah let me get a couple tracks in first before you go ahead and just annihilate everybody. But yeah. It's like really, really cool to have you on and get to chat with you. I mean, I, I know I talk with you all the time through emails and. Hey, we got another thing. Hey, we got another thing. You know, it's like always 
always, uh, you know, moving. So it's, you know, thank you so much for everything that you've done and contributing for all of the libraries and making them sound awesome. We'll have to come eat at your restaurant too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're ever in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, man, we'll, we'll treat you. Awesome, dude. Thanks for coming on. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. All right, Craig, catch you next week. See ya. Same time, same place. <laughs> <laughs> right. Peace. All right. Later.